0: Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster, the show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle.
1: Hi, friends. So we have made it past Quitter's Day, which is traditionally the second Friday in January when people are most likely to quit on their new year's goals. It's the point at which many people find that what they set just feels too big or too tall in order and the month is running away and they're most likely to quit. But hopefully not you, because if you haven't already, go back and listen to last week's podcast with Brian Keane, where we talked all about mindset, the importance of discipline, how to find your why and create really strong habits. But if you set as a goal, getting into the best shape of your life, then you are into a in for a treat today. Because my guest today is the incredible Mike Matthews. And in my opinion, there is literally no one better in the entire world, to tell you how to achieve the best body composition that you can. Now, this is a really in-depth episode. Um, It's quite a long episode, so you may want to listen to it in parts. We go into a lot of detail about how to build your dream body and what it really takes. We also talk about what if you're new to fitness, how much do you need to do? In actual fact, a lot less than if you've been doing it a while. We talk about how many sets and reps you need to do per body part to really achieve your ideal physique. And importantly, we get into the differences between men and women. Now, as you know, if you've been following me for some time, you'll know that I talk about muscle being an organ for longevity and just how important it is to maintain and if not increase your muscle mass as we age. And part of that is by eating more protein, it becomes definitely more important for us, particularly over the age of 50. But as we get older from sort of 30 and beyond, we start to lose muscle mass every decade. And this is really important because muscle burns a lot more calories. But do you have to really spend hours and hours in the gym? No. Like anything... There is a science to this, and that's what you're going to learn about today. We also talk about if you want to really create those lovely, sexy curves as a woman or those bigger muscles as a man, how can you do that without gaining too much body fat at the same time? How much of a calorie surplus do you need to be in to do it? And do you have to do the gain stage followed by a shred stage? Actually, you don't. There's something very cool that Mike talks about, which is called flip-flopping. And so you're going to learn about that in today's episode as well. So Mike Matthews is a certified personal trainer and he's best-selling author of Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, And Thinner, Leaner, Stronger. Two incredible books. But the exciting thing is he has just also released a brand new book for those who are more at the entry level as a more of a runway book to the other two. And that is called Muscle for Life. Get lean, strong and healthy at any age. And he has literally just come out. He's also the founder of the number one brand of all natural sports supplements in the world, Legion. Um, He's a he has a simple and science based approach to building muscle, losing fat and getting healthy. And he has literally helped tens of thousands of people build their best body ever. And his work has been featured in many popular outlets, including Esquire, Men's Health, L, Women's Health, Muscle and Strength and more, as well as going on Fox and ABC. He's also given listeners 20% off their first order of any of his supplements at legionathletics.com. You just need to use coupon code LEGION20. That's coupon code LEGION20. It has some incredible protein powders and fat burning supplements on there with no artificial sweeteners or nasties in them. And now in this episode, as I say, we do get into a lot of detail, so I think you're going to gain so much from it. Don't worry about taking notes. As always, the transcript and the show notes are over on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. But for now, just sit back and really enjoy this lesson. So I'm really excited to be joined by Mike Matthews today. Your books have been a massive inspiration to me, Mike. When I was, you know, back sort of five, seven years ago, when I was in the pits of burnout and trying to get my health back on track, I knew I had to get strong. And that was when I first discovered you. And um, it's been such an important part of my life, just strength training, getting really strong and understanding that women, we're not going to get big very easily. In fact, actually, if you want to have nice, sexy curves and get smaller. Strength training needs to be a part of your life, apart from all the longevity benefits. So I'm so excited to have you here and chat to you today. First of all, a very warm welcome to the show.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. And uh, the bulky myth, you, you learned about it and then you experienced it firsthand. It's great.
1: I did. I did. And it is a myth. So let's start there. Why don't we talk about it? Why women obviously do fear getting bulky. And I think it is a real thing that, you know, yep. sometimes but my perception of it is actually your nutrition is not on point. If you're getting bulky most of the time, because there's a layer of fat that is covering the muscle that you're building that can sometimes be the issue. Um, but you, you're the expert on this. So why don't you dive into what the bulky myth is?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is the most common issue. I explain this. I have a book for women called thinner, leaner, stronger, for example. And I explain this also in a, I have a new book coming out called muscle for life, which is, uh, meant specifically, specifically for the 40 plus crowd and and specifically for people who are very new to all of this stuff and like any good myth that that persists there is some truth in it uh, that's always that's always uh, the best lies are always not complete fabrications right and what is true is in many women they've seen this and so they'll go to the gym and they'll see women lifting weights who look bulky to them and they'll think, I don't, I don't really want to look like her. I mean, it's cool that she's strong and that's great. She's here, uh, training and she might be very healthy, but I, I just would not be happy if I looked in the mirror every day and I, and I saw that. So I'm not going to do that. And, and I understand that line of thinking. Uh, but like you said, the key is looking at body composition, which, uh, is, is body weight, but then you look at fat versus muscle. I mean, technically body composition would include bone and water and other stuff, but we're, we're most concerned with fat and muscle. And so the, the key to being strong and looking fit as a woman, having muscle definition, muscle tone, and not looking bulky is in the body fat levels. So what happens with many women is, is they start with higher levels of body fat. Let's say a woman is at 30% or maybe 35%. So a bit higher than is optimal. Uh, once you get above 30%, that's where I would say you're probably entering the uh, unhealthy uh, unhealthy range of body fat. Not that thirty percent is unhealthy, but forty percent certainly mm-hmm. is, right? <clears throat> so you have a woman, let's say she's starting at thirty to thirty five percent body fat, um which is not obese, but she is that that technically is overweight, right? And then she starts lifting weights. And there are great health benefits to that. It's fantastic that she's doing it. She's going to get stronger and her body is going to start processing food better. And, uh, there are many other great things that are going to happen internally, but externally, if she doesn't bring her body fat level down to a more optimal range, she will just start to look bigger because she's going to be adding muscle and it's going to be a gradual process. And it's not going to be, um, I mean, some women, they, they are concerned that if they start lifting weights, they're just going to wake up, you know, um, a month later and 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 have uh, expanded the waist like six inches or something. it, it doesn't it doesn't go like that. Uh, but, but once they've gained where 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 women really start to see a difference, probably around five pounds. And if you think of like a sixteen ounce steak as a pound of muscle, and you put that, Somewhere on your body. So if you had five of those you kind of distribute them uh in your lower body, uh and more so in their upper body because your lower body responds faster, then women they start to see, oh wait a minute. I'm, I'm looking, I'm just looking bigger and their, and their, their clothes are getting tighter, not exactly what they, what they want to experience maybe after five pounds, certainly after probably, uh, eight plus pounds, if they don't address body fat levels, the the clothes they were wearing, some of those clothes probably aren't even going to fit them anymore. And that is obviously a disconcerting experience because whereas guys, they uh, guys who are into weightlifting we're never big enough. That's, that's the curse mm. of, uh, once you get it, once you get into it, y- there's always something that, that you want to make bigger, right? So I have a book for guys, bigger, leaner, stronger, which is a great title because that summarizes everything guys want from <laughs> weightlifting. They want, they always want to be bigger, leaner, and stronger, right? For, for women, that is not the goal, the leaner and stronger part. That's cool. But the bigger part uh, there are very few women I've heard from few over the years who do, who start very small and want to get bigger. Most women do not want to get bigger. And so that experience can turn a lot of women off of resistance training of any kind. And then they go sometimes in the opposite Uh, direction in the extreme. And they start doing a bunch of cardio because that's more traditionally associated with getting smaller. And then that often leads to starvation diets or just weird fad diets. And, um, the, the, the change that they should have made though. And this is what I, a big, a big message that, um, since the beginning I've, I've been, I've been sharing with women is, is to understand that as you start to add muscle, if you don't bring your body fat level down to a, a more optimal range, yes, you will just get bigger and bulkier. If you do address your body fat levels and to put a specific number to it, I've, I've worked with many, many women over the years, and these are everyday normal women. These are not bodybuilder women or fitness competitor women. Uh, these are women who, Um, They have a few hours per week to give to their fitness. It matters to them. They want to look good, feel good, um, but they have a life outside of the gym. And most of those women, the, the look that, that most of them are going for, if, if I were to ask them to go on Pinterest and find a few pictures of what they would love to look like within reason, and don't, don't send me uh, again, like a bikini competitor on stage, because that, that is, is, is not, it's not worth the suffering. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Um, but, but think of, think of pictures of women at the beach, right? That, that, that is about 20 to 25% body fat. So that's a percentage of body weight that is fat about 20 to 25%. Some women want to be a bit leaner than that, which starts to look, uh, it just is, is more defined, right? But if you get to like 15% body fat as a woman, most women would not like that. That's where you're going to have, noticeable vascularity so there are probably going to be veins uh, in your arms maybe even veins in your lower abdomen stuff that that guys generally are are into mm. but, but 15... it's interesting
1: that you say that actually because I recently did my body fat percentage at the gym but just with where you stand on it you stand and you also have the handles yep and I was quite surprised because it came up as like fourteen and a half percent body fat and I would say do I open? Do I do I have some veins. I would say you can see my abs, but I'm not convinced that I would be that low. I think that could be an overestimation and I know it has an impact with water, but I would say that I probably think I look good when I'm somewhere between 16 and 18%. And I think that's probably more realistic because I feel smaller. It looks nice in clothes. You can put a vest top on and feel confident, um, but you're not so low. And it's isn't. It's totally maintainable. That's the thing. I do want people who are listening to get that because I think you made a really important part of at the point at the at the beginning is that these are women and this is the same for me i do not spend hours in the gym and when you follow it properly it is easy to maintain particularly if you've got the nutrition 80 percent right yep. um, you don't have to spend hours and if you skip a workout it's not going to change things overnight yep. um, and you can maintain that level right whereas bikini competitors is unsustainable and causes all kinds of like hormone disruption stopping periods thyroid dysfunction just it yeah, it kind of goes into a cascade. Yeah,
0: totally. Yep. Exactly. And and so um that optimal range in, in most women is if we were to expand it a little bit, let's say 18-ish to 25-ish. And that that is that range is perfectly healthy. It is very maintainable. That is something that is maintainable indefinitely. Uh, Like you mentioned, you just have to do the most important things, mostly right. Most of the time, you do not have to be perfect. You don't have to beat yourself up for skipping a workout or missing a workout or, uh, having a cheat meal or, or eating off your meal plan. You just have to And we can go into some of the specifics. I'll I'll, I'll defer to you in terms of where you want the conversation to go. But just to your point, you can live a normal life. You don't have to be neurotic and obsessive about your fitness to look like that. And so we get the body fat level to that range. And for women who want to be a little bit softer looking and curvier, that might be 25% for women who do like to, to look a little bit tighter and who like to have a bit more muscle definition, that would might be around 18%. And that's just to uh, I don't think that they one is necessarily better than the other. It's just a personal preference. So you get there and then you add, uh, let's call it 10 to 15 pounds of muscle to the right places on a woman's body. And for most women, they are going to have to work harder on their lower body than their upper body to get what they want. Uh, in, in men, it's usually the mm, other way around. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you add 10 to 15 pounds in the right places, which that, that part uh throws up a red flag for many women because again many women are conditioned against gaining any kind of weight and, and we can talk about that further if you'd like but um i know that you've experienced this when you bring your body fat level down to that optimal range and you replace some of that weight with muscle in the right places that's when your physique really starts to come together and that is when now at 18 or 20% body fat you don't just look like a malnourished waif you look like mm. an athlete you have curves you have uh, a great butt you have great legs you have lines muscle definition but you don't look jacked you don't look like a bodybuilder you still look feminine um but i'd say that the the athlete is is probably uh, the best, uh, and, and not, not a, not a, an Olympic weightlifting athlete, but, no. uh, an athletic looking woman. That's yeah. That's which amazing. I think is
1: a really attractive look because it's strong. You can carry yourself. Well, you're going to look yeah. good in skinny and, you and, you and look jeans, healthy and you look healthy. Yeah, you do. You're absolutely right. I mean, one question I have, cause this comes up a lot with people, right? Is can you gain muscle without having a calorie surplus? So can you, for people listening, they're thinking, I want to lose fat and I want to gain some muscle. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, Yes, certainly. There's no question. This has been shown in a number of studies. And when you are new to resistance training, your body is, is hyper responsive to it basically is, is what's happening, right? So your body's muscle building machinery, it, it, it goes into overdrive for the first it's a range. And this depends primarily on compliance. How well are people, uh, not being perfect, but doing the most important things, mostly right. Most of the time. And then there are genetics. Some people respond really well to training. Some people respond not so well, but even the people who respond not so well, they still can do great. They just have to be a little bit more patient. It's just a matter of time. It's not, it's not a matter of, uh, total muscle gain or strength gain that's only relevant to people who want to be a competitive strength athlete right and um so when you first start out uh, this is in the body composition world it's known as recomposition or recomping body recomp and that is where you simultaneously lose fat and build muscle and how to do it. Fortunately is very, very simple. You set up your diet to lose fat. So that means that you are going to be consistently eating fewer calories than you're burning. You are going to be consistently eating uh, a a lot of pro well, I don't want, I want to be specific. You're going to be consistent, consistently following a high protein diet, which doesn't, it doesn't have to be an obnoxious amount of protein somewhere, let's say between 0.8 and one gram of protein per pound of body weight you can can convert that into kilograms if if, uh, that makes more sense to you Um, and if that is if that is too much because somebody has a lot of weight to lose another way of looking at it is one gram per centimeter of height so if somebody again let's say a woman is 200 pounds and she's like really i have to eat 200 grams of protein per day uh, that that's what i eat right is that mm. necessary um and and for a 200 pound woman that that's that's a that's gonna be tough uh, mo- a lot of women when they first start out they, in my experience they're eating 30 to 50 grams of protein per day so to ask her to go from that to 100 and even 160 to 200 that's a bit much
1: that um, is a lot yeah so I just want to quickly interrupt to tell you about this incredible skincare range that I've been using. Now, I often get asked, what do I use for anti-aging? And as you know, I'm all about longevity and activating the NAD pathway and our sirtuins, which are these cool set of genes that enhance both longevity and metabolism. And so I was so excited when I found this brand called Young Goose, who actually have an NAD-based formula that helps activate sirtuins in skin cells and ameliorate the damaging effects of UV exposure, DNA damage and ageing. It also has peptides to help plump the skin and enhance anti-ageing. And vitamin C to brighten the skin and even skin tone. And so I use this Young Goose Air Eye Cream and Serum at night before going to bed. And then I pop on their vitamin C spray in the morning to give me some antioxidant protection from the sun's rays and other toxins from going out and about. And it's just such an incredible range. Now, you can get 20% off Young Goose's range by going to bit.ly forward slash young goose that's bit.ly forward slash young goose all in lowercase and all you need to do is enter code angela foster at checkout so that's bit.ly forward slash young goose and enter code angela foster at checkout The other thing I get asked is what do I do before I go to bed, what are my key supplements that I take, and there are two key things that I do, so this is about 30 to 45 minutes before I want to go to sleep. The first thing I do is obviously put on my blue light blocking glasses, but then I pop one to two depending, sometimes I'll take one in the morning, sometimes I take two at night. Biooptimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It just gives you this Zen-like sense of calm and really helps me sleep. And again, you can get 10% off Biooptimizers Magnesium Breakthrough by going to www.bioptimizers.com forward slash Angela and entering code Angela10 at checkout. That's biooptimizers.com forward slash Angela and entering code angela at checkout and then the second thing I do is actually to have a couple of tinctures of some medicinal mushrooms and I have one full tincture of chaga and one full tincture of reishi and this has worked so amazingly well this combination for me but also so many of my clients and I absolutely love these mushroom tinctures. I get very upset if I don't order in time and I run out before they're coming. So you can also try these mushrooms by going to bit.ly forward slash world kingdom extracts that's bit.ly forward slash world kingdom Kingdom Extracts. And if you intercode Angela, you'll get a cool 15% off your order. And then you can basically pop some mushrooms, take your Bioptimizer's Magnesium, put these beautiful NAD serums on your face and just wake up feeling incredible and younger. Now let's get back to Mike. So right, what would but, you do then with somebody who's already, if you're quite lean, like, say I want to put on some muscle and I am 115 pounds and I'm 165 centimeters, yep. where would I go just somewhere in between about 130 grams of protein yep. a day?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. There, there's a range there. Um, because you're, you're fit, uh, you could probably get away with a little bit less protein. Like you could probably, you could go to 0.8 grams per pound, especially if, if you are maintaining or you are trying to gain muscle. So you're intentionally overeating a little bit. Um, if you were wanting to, to lose fat, it would probably be smarter to, to go a little bit higher because you're fit and you have a fair amount of muscle. So probably make a, make, Sense to go, I would say at least 120 or so, maybe 130, uh, but not too important. As long as you're in that range of you're around 100 grams, ideally a little bit higher. What would be a problem though is if you were eating 50 grams a day, for example. Mm -hmm. There's no question that that would not be enough to support uh, muscle building if you were trying to gain muscle or or muscle retention if you're trying to lose fat. And so, so for women wanting to lose, lose fat and build muscle at the same time, you set up your diet for losing fat, and then you train, um, in the gym for building muscle. And I think that's a good way actually to look at the primary functions of diet and training. The Hmm. primary function of training is not fat loss. Like many people think, yes, it does support fat loss. Of course, it burns calories as you build muscle that supports your, it boosts your metabolism. So to speak, uh, training regularly helps your body do other things with the food you eat, than store them as fat. So training supports fat loss, but most of the fat loss is going to come from nutrition and controlling your calories, controlling your protein. And then the primary function of training is to support muscle building or support muscle retention. Maybe you're at a point um, where you don't really want to gain any more muscle. You're actually pretty happy with how everything looks and you want to, maybe you want to get stronger or you want to find, of course, ways to enjoy your training, but in in women, in men, it rarely happens. Most guys, they always want something to get bigger, Um, but it's more common with women to get to a point where they can't point to anything on their body and say, I want more size there. And, Hmm. and then, and then the game becomes, uh, of course, maintaining what they have. And so in the gym, then what we would do is we'd have, uh, this, this person, this, this is for men and women, but we'd have this person spend most of the time that they have available for exercise on training their muscles. So we want to, that's resistance training, progressive overload, just the, the, the fundamentals of good strength training, good resistance training. And that then drives the muscle growth and setting up the calorie deficit and controlling protein that drives the fat loss and they can have their cake and eat it too. Uh, most people for six to, to maybe 12 months. And then after that, it gets a bit harder and y- you can't effectively recomp anymore. But what's cool about that is if you do a good job in your first six, eight, 10, 12 months, that's enough time to, 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 really transform your body. And so it's pretty rewarding. That first year is a lot of fun because you're seeing major changes in the mirror. You're seeing major improvements in your performance in the gym and then things, they get a little bit harder after that. But by then you've, you've already, you've already gained so much momentum and you've already established the habits and you've already completely changed your lifestyle that you're, you're not discouraged by the fact that it's not as easy as it once was.
1: Yeah, it's going to take longer. So what about somebody who's a little bit more half-hearted then in that first year? And then they think, okay, I've got into the routine now. I'm really enjoying it. Now I do actually really want to gain some muscle. Have they then just got to be disciplined for the next sort of 6 to 12 months um, in order to achieve that goal? Or is it going to make it harder because they kind of had a semi baseline? Um, I wouldn't say
0: it requires more discipline. It it just requires a couple of things. It requires a shift in expectations. So let's talk about muscle building. So, uh, in the first year, your average woman is going to be able to gain. If she wanted to focus on, um, gaining as much muscle as she can 10 to 15 pounds, maybe And, and your average guy, it's probably around 15 to 20 pounds. And that's the first year, Right. Year two, potential muscle gain for, for most people is about half that now. So it's half of year one. So year okay. two, your average woman is probably going to be able to gain five to maybe eight pounds of muscle. Your average guy, it's going to be 10, maybe 15 and year three, it halves again, and it halves and it halves and it halves, and that sounds almost too tidy to be true. It sounds like, oh, that's convenient, but there's quite a bit of research behind that, and it and it 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 really does uh, play out that way. And so, when we look then at okay, so let's 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 take a woman. She's spent her first year losing fat, building muscle. She's lost a lot of fat. Uh, if if we want to put a number to that, it is entirely reasonable to say that, um, and this would apply to men, but, but uh, that, that anyone really could lose 30 to 50 pounds of fat in the first year, depending on various things. But so let's say she's been, uh, working hard at that. She's lost a lot of, maybe even most of the fat that she wanted to lose. She's gained, uh, call it eight or maybe 10 pounds of muscle And a lot of it is right in the right places. So now she looks totally different. She's super excited. And now she goes, okay, I would like though, to have a bit more muscle in my butt. I would like it to be uh, a bit rounder. I have the look I want. I'm getting there, but I need more muscle definition in my butt. Also my legs. I'd like my legs to have a little bit more muscle definition and my arms uh, it would be nice to have some more muscle definition there. Okay. I feel
1: like you're talking to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a a lot of, a lot of, a lot of women for guys. It's like, Oh, my chest and my biceps and, and my shoulders. Right. Um, and, and so then what should she do and what, what change does she have to make? And, and many women, if they don't know that they do need to make some changes, they can get frustrated because what got them there, uh, isn't actually going to get them to where they want to be. Because if, if all they knew at that point was, Hey, I consistently ate, you know, let's say about 1,600 calories per day, I ate like 130 grams of protein per day, my carbs and fats, whatever I wanted to do with them. I had some, you know, I would eat off plan here and there. I just wouldn't go and eat 7,000 calories in a day, but I'd let myself, you know, take a break here and there, enjoy myself a little bit here and there, have some alcohol here and there. Okay, good. And I was pretty consistent with my training. I'll just keep going. Um, well, at that point, they are going to struggle to continue to gain muscle is, is, uh, okay. is, the, is the problem. And, and some, some women, they, they understand that and they say, okay, I actually don't really, I'm okay with my body fat level. Uh, and, and I don't really want to restrict my calories anymore. Um, but I do want to gain this muscle. And so what they'll do is they'll bring their calories up to a more maintenance level, which is just kind of where they're, they have an average number of calories that they're burning every day. They're eating around that, not having to be perfect, but just around, let's call it 2000 where their, their daily intake is fluctuating between 1900 and 2100 and their weight now is stable. They're not really gaining. Of course, it fluctuates day to day, especially, especially with, with women. Um, there are, there are big fluctuations every month, but if you look at daily averages over time, it's just kind of the same. And then they're in there trying to push themselves in the gym and they're not seeing the progress that they saw and so the change that that they have to make at some point if they want to let's just say maximize muscle gain so if i mean maybe i'm speaking to you if you're like all right Um, I have a few pounds that I, that I, that have muscle. I want to think of it as like sculpting really. Okay. I want to put Mm -hmm. some clay here and then I'll put some clay here. And then, you know, I know, I know what I look like at the lower body fat levels that I like. And if I could just have some more, uh, definition or shape in these areas, that would be perfect. If you, if you continue um, eating around your maintenance calories, you can get there. It's just a slow process. Um, I mean, you might be looking at just two or three pounds of muscle gain per year. Um, and, and you can do that, but if you want to get to the finish line a little bit faster, and you have to commit to eating consistently, eating more calories than you're burning. And that does mean gaining some fat. Okay. And many women are resistant to that. Many men are as well. Many men, mm, when, that they eat, when they
1: automatically makes me resist, interestingly, and also yeah. you only be having this conversation, right? With somebody who's dropped their body fat percentage yep. down enough that they're now just, as you say, they're looking for more carbs, but then what that would concern me is then I'm just going to get. That bigger. <laughs> exactly. There's the word. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and it's and, and many guys, when they when they ha- get a six pack for the first time, for example, they don't want to lose it. They don't. Mm. They they want to stay lean, and they want to gain a lot more muscle. Your average guy, right? And um, unfortunately, for men and women, that that just isn't possible once you are past your novice phase. Once you are an intermediate, and to put what is an intermediate weightlifter? There are different ways you could look at that, but a simple, simple way of looking at it is I would consider any woman an intermediate weightlifter, or maybe she's not even, when you think of weightlifting, you think of barbells, dumbbells, maybe she's only doing machines, whatever. It doesn't matter. Resistance training, right? Intermediate is after her first 10 or 15 pounds of muscle. Um, at that point, she's now an intermediate resistance trainee or, or weightlifter, right. Um, simply because of the work that it takes and the strength you have to gain to gain that muscle. And in men it's, it's going into that year two, right? So it's your, your, uh, average guy who has already gained 15 ish pounds of muscle, no longer a novice. And so again, to, to make the, the jump to, the next in women, let's say five pounds of, mu- of muscle gained or even 10 pounds of muscle gained, depending on how you want to look, um, you, the most efficient and effective way to get there is to commit to consistently eating a bit more calories, call it, call it 10%, right? So it's a gradual, uh, um, it's a gradual uptick of body weight and of body fatness, but you don't explode, but you do after a month, for example, if you're taking pictures, if you look at before and afters, uh, uh, over, over the course of a month, you'll notice that you have a little bit less muscle definition. Um, but the payoff for that is if you know what you're doing in the gym, you will see that you are getting stronger. And at that point, when you are an intermediate or advanced weightlifter, really the most consistent, um, way to build muscle is to get stronger. So if you see that you are getting stronger in the gym, particularly on your big exercises, you can know that you are gaining muscle. You, you don't, you're not sure when you look in the mirror, because inevitably this happens for men and women, when you are lean gaining like this, um, you'll wonder, am I, am I getting bigger muscles or am I just getting fatter? Am I just mm-hmm. wasting my time? And, and many people, if they in- interpret it as it looks like I'm just getting fatter, they then go back into dieting, they get rid of the fat they gained, and then they go back to their, their previous maintenance. And, and then they, they, uh, often, they can be happy ish, but now they want to go to that next level and they don't know what to do. And so the key is committing to staying in that calorie surplus, being okay with some fat gain, knowing that, you know, exactly what to do to get rid of that fat. This is, this is temporary. Um, and just accepting that, um, maybe you don't look exactly as you want to look, but again, we have to think of this as, as, as creating a, a statue as, as sculpting, right? So, um, it takes time to get to the final finished product. And you, and you if you get too frustrated along the way, then you might abandon the process. And you can also look to some of the, the benefits of being in a consistent calorie surplus. Like, for example, you'll have your best workouts, uh, in, when you're in a calorie surplus, especially after your first month or so. And your body's muscle building machinery is really humming along because that's what it does. It just having the slight surplus of energy, it allows your body's muscle building machinery to work at its maximum capacity, basically, because... Um, when you look at it in terms of energy demands and priorities, the top priority is to stay alive, right? Mm. So if, if energy is restricted, that's mild starvation. That's how your Mm. body views it. It is being mildly starved. And unfortunately it doesn't know what your intentions are. It doesn't know that this isn't going to go on forever. Don't worry. Don't freak out. We're just going to do this for a little bit so we can look good. Your body, it just (laughs) has, unfortunately it just has mechanisms built in to, try to get out of the calorie deficit because it knows that if this continues for too long, we're dead. That's it. We're not going to make it. Mm. And that's true, right? If you were to consistently restrict your calories indefinitely, eventually you would lose so much body fat that your heart would stop and you would die that that's what would happen. Right? So your body, it, it kind of overreacts in a sense, uh, because it doesn't again, know that that's not going to happen. We're just doing this for a little bit to get leaner, right? And and so muscle building is not high on the list of priority. The muscle building machinery, when, when energy is restricted, it doesn't get very much uh, priority and rightfully so. And so you can be trying to provide that stimulus. You're training, you're telling your body, come on, build muscle. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. And it refuses to, let's just say like the muscle building engine, it has, you know, eight pistons. It refuses to fire more than two. It just says, no, until, until you give me more food, we're not going to do it. And then on the other, on the, on the other side of that coin, then when you are giving your body more energy, a little bit more than it needs. It has the luxury of firing all eight pistons, so to speak. So then when you're training your body goes, okay, we have enough energy to support all organs, all important physiological processes. Uh, we're not in a mild starvation mode. Okay. We can, we can afford to, uh, fire up the, the, the full the full potential of, of this, uh, this machinery. And-, and
1: how long would you recommend with that bit then? Cause presumably then you've got to do a shred at the end, right? Yeah. And you've gained yeah, exactly. the muscle. How you long would you at- need to be in that fit or how would you, how would you get there? Because what's striking me actually is for those listening, we're recording this in December is, and, and you've got your new book coming out in January. So it's actually a good time to release it because for people who are already at that stage where they've got a baseline, this could be a really good time in winter when you're a bit more covered up to gain the muscle and then strip yeah. it off before summer. Would that be enough time?
0: Yep. And that's how a lot of people do it. Once it gets cold and they're wearing more clothes and um, a lot of those clothes are comfier. You know, we're talking about, you know, sweatpants and sweatshirts. uh, And that's a good way to do it. Where you're, you're just using your environment and your circumstances to your favor there, as opposed to when it's warm and you're, you're wearing less clothes and maybe there are, there's a beat, there are beach trips and all that kind of stuff. And, and so many people, that's what they do is they intentionally, there's also the holidays where we tend to eat more food anyway. And so they intentionally set up their year like that. And, and to your question, there are a couple of different ways of doing it. So, so one thing that people should know is when you are going to, um, commit to, again, I call it lean gaining. I I, I don't even like to use the term lean bulking, especially with women, because, that's just the word bulk or bulky. is is not an, not an attractive term for, for many women guys, they don't care. They want to be bulky. Right. Mm. Um, but, but lean gaining, I think has a a better connotation. And the reason why I say lean is because again, we're only looking to eat, let's say about 10% more calories than we're burning every day. And again, don't have to be perfect, but that's what we're consistently striving for. So if we know that, we burn, let's say a woman who's active, um, let's say she burns on average 2000 calories about that every day, then she would want to set up her diet to provide about 2200 calories every day. And she sticks to that. Uh, and again, sometimes she's a little bit higher. Sometimes she's a little bit lower. Sometimes she burns a little bit more, a little bit less. That's okay. Uh, but so long as, is she's mostly in that area, then she's good to go. Now, when you're doing that, I would not recommend, uh, less than, two months. And the reason for that is, um, I, I, I can't point to any research off the top of my head. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of research on calorie surpluses. There's a lot of research on calorie deficits to lose weight, of course, but there's not much funding for how do we, uh, get people more jacked, uh, that there's a lot of funding for how do we help people lose fat. Um, but from, from working with a lot of people over the years, and also in my own personal experience, it seems when you, when you flip into a calorie surplus, it takes a couple of weeks to get up to speed, so to speak, uh, to, to you, you, you start to notice the positive effects after a few weeks, you start to progress in your workouts. You start to many people, they report more energy just in general, they feel a little bit better. They sleep a little bit better. And all of that then turns into even better workouts. And so if you were mm-hmm. to only do it for four weeks, let's say, you're going to benefit to some degree you are but you are kind of just coming into what is um going to be pro- probably the most productive phase of this lean gain and then you're 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 flipping back into a calorie deficit so it's not optimal i would say it makes it makes sense to go at least two months and then as far as how long you can go there's no pat answer you could go I mean, personally, I haven't done it in a while um, because I'm at a point where I can't really gain much more muscle and strength anyway. I'm happy with how I look. I like my workouts. I stay lean. It works. But the last time I was, it was about five or six months. So generally I think four to six months is a, is a good target because you are going to be gaining body fat consistently, small amounts, but consistently throughout this period. You also are probably going to have to raise your calories throughout this period. Just like how, when you're dieting for a longer period of time, you have to gradually lower your calories to continue losing weight. Everybody has to, that's just how it goes. When you're trying to consistently gain weight as you are just how your body kind of fights against you when you're losing weight, it actually fights against you when you're gaining weight too. It has mechanisms to try to reduce your calorie intake to try to increase activity levels. Cause your body really just wants to stay the same. It, it, it's striving for a homeostasis. It doesn't want to get smaller per se. And this is at a more mechanistic biological level. It doesn't want to get bigger. And so what happens is Um, as you are eating more food, you're gaining weight, you're gaining muscle and fat. And most people, when they're doing a good job, they can gain muscle and fat at a ratio of about one to one. So for every pound that they gain, it's not a pound of fat. It's probably in most people about a half a pound of muscle, a half a pound of fat, the body though, you know, what, what, what happens with many people is they just naturally start to move more. Um, and they don't even necessarily notice it. Uh, they just have energy and they're moving more, they're fidgeting more, they're walking around more, they're more inclined to maybe take the stairs or walk somewhere rather than if it's a short distance than ride. And so what happens is as energy expenditure goes up, it, it then matches energy intake, no more weight gain, right? So then you have to, start eating a little bit more and to put numbers to it. For example, the last time I I did a lean gaining phase, I started around 3,300 calories and I I ended after four or five, six months, something like that. I ended over 4,000. And that, that, that's what it took to just keep my, yep. And, and and we're only looking to gain about a half of half a percent of our body weight um
1: so in that period Mike what did you what did you gain in terms of muscle and how much fat did you put on in yep. that period and then how did you get the fat off
0: Yep so in that period let's see I went from oh I weighed at my low point about 188 and I ended at about 205 um and and there were a, a couple of unnecessarily large I I I just for fun was eating like 6,000 calories for dinner. Cause there was a point at the end of that cut where I kept on losing weight and I was bringing my calories up and I was like, all right, I'm just going to go crazy and, and see if I can finally stop. Uh, let's see what happens. Right. And, um, that, that was just kind of for fun, but, <laughs> but call it, call it a 15 pound, uh, 15 pounds or so. And that's not all, uh, fat. Um, and so 15 pounds again, over the course of five or, or six months, which is, um, that that's a, that's a, that's a, that that's a good target. So if you're gaining, for example, um, as a guy, when you're no longer new, if you're gaining a half a pound, let's, let's say a pound a month or so one pound a month, maybe a little bit more than that, a pound to a pound and a half, certainly no more than two pounds, but a pound to a pound and a half a month. That is, um, that's good. And the reason why I gained a bit more than that is I started out very lean and so I, that that i started out probably around 6 or 7% body fat and i and i in the beginning it looks cool it doesn't feel so great and so i actually wanted to get quickly back up to 8 9 10% which is where i actually recommend most guys start their lean bulking i do not recommend trying to get below 10% unless you have a good reason to, because it's not very sustainable. Certainly not mm. six or 7% is not, it looks cool. No. in women, the equivalent is like 15, 16%. Some women, they might like that. Look, it is not sustainable.
1: sustainable.
0: Yeah. What it's do you so think is
1: in- easily sustainable for men about 10 to
0: 12%. Yeah. That's very easily. And, and you yeah. can get a, you can stay a little bit leaner. Like I, I probably, uh, I haven't, um, I don't care to test myself. I just care what I see in the mirror. Really. Um, I'm probably a little bit leaner than that right now, probably around 8%, maybe eight or nine. And that's very sustainable in women. Uh, the equivalent of that would be about probably 18% or so very sustainable. And and so, so in the, in the lean gaining for women, um, again, not novices anymore, it's about half. So if, if a woman is gaining about half of a, a one half of a pound to one pound per month, she's doing a good job. And okay. it's going to be a bit muscle, a bit of muscle, a bit of fat. She's going to see her weights going up in the gym consistently. She's going to have good energy levels and she is going to know, maybe not look all that much bigger, uh, unless you're taking consistent pictures. Cause you look at yourself every day, you don't see minor changes, but she'll notice her clothes are getting a little bit tighter and just know that that's good. I mean, it's it, that's exactly what you want, because if you play this out over time now, and let's say body fat levels have gone in a woman. She starts around your levels. She's 18, 19, 20%. And she's now up to 25, 26, 27%. And this is over the course of, of four, five, six months. She's gained a lot of strength in the gym. She knows she's gained muscle because at that point, she's not going to be gaining strength without gaining muscle. She looks a little bit bigger maybe than she would like to look. And her clothes don't fit maybe as well as she would like them to fit. It, that that's where the winter comes in though. Maybe then that is less of a, of an issue because again, wearing baggier, more comfortable stuff. Um, and then she goes, okay now, uh, and this is, that's about where I'd recommend cutting it off is not going much beyond 25, 6, 7% in guys. I don't recommend going much beyond 16, 17, 18%, not because it's harmful per se. You're not going to harm your health. But what I've found with many people is, if a woman allows herself to go beyond, let's say it's someone like you who the look you like, it requires you to be lean, not not unhealthily lean, but lean. And what you'll find is, if if you gut it out and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a slightly fat, quote unquote, by my standards, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go to 30% body fat, or 30. I wouldn't really recommend going beyond that. What you might find is then the slog to get back to where you want to be is just obnoxious. It just, it it takes Mm. a a fair amount of time. Now you're looking at, you're looking at maybe four months of dieting to get back to where you want to be. And so um, some and if people, you
1: cut it off to five or six months, and you then want to get back, how quickly do you think you can get back to lean because do you know, why I'm so interested in this because I'm this is something that is my goal in the new year is yeah. to gain some muscle and I think it's not going to be easy. But when you're saying this inside, I'm quietly slightly terrified that I'm going <laughs> to yeah, yeah, get bigger so. and I'm just thinking, should I just stay how I am, but then it's going to annoy me as well because I kind of do want a bit more curves. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there are a couple of, of ways of setting this up, right? So one is just to commit to a a lengthy, it could be four months, five months, six months, um, lean gaining phase and setting up. So then you have maybe a two or three month dieting phase to get back to where you want to be. And, uh, you could do it that way, or you can do what, what many people actually prefer to do is you could you could call it mini bulking or mini, mini bulks, mini cuts, or mini lean gaining phases, mini cutting phases. And that's where you're going four to six weeks in a calorie surplus, and then two or three weeks in a calorie deficit. And you're just flip-flopping now Mm. that's not maybe optimal. If we're trying to maximize muscle and strength gain. And, and you can know that if you, if you really want to every day gain as much muscle and strength as you can, you just have to commit to the, to the consistent calorie surplus. But if you're willing to, over the course of call it four to six months, gain a little bit less muscle and strength, you will gain muscle and strength you can do the mini bulk or I'm using the term bulk, mini gain and mini cut approach. Again, we're four to six weeks of that consistent calorie surplus. You gain, you will gain some muscle. You will gain some strength. You will experience some of the benefits that I've, that I've shared. Um, like I said, though, you'll, you'll find that it is, uh, it's on an upward trajectory during that period. And if you were to keep going, it probably would continue to go up and then kind of just stay at a nice high level. Um, So you do sacrifice a little bit of that, but by then every four to six weeks, flipping into a calorie deficit for a couple of weeks, you can shave off some of that fat that you gained. And I wouldn't recommend being overly aggressive, just a standard, maybe 20, 25% deficit. You can so shave off. So you're kind off.
1: of eating up at around 10% above calories, but then when you cut, yep. you're at sort of 20, 25%. Correct. Yeah, for anyone listening. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. And if, And then what you do is you shave off some of the fat that you gained in that lean gaining phase. And what's kind of cool about it is, you get to benefit from some of that momentum, some of that inertia that you have built up. So what you'll notice, and anybody listening who has done enough of this kind of stuff, they know that the first couple of weeks of a cut is usually pretty easy, especially if you've been eating a fair amount of food. And sometimes you even look forward to it. Just you're like, I I just want to eat less food. I've been eating a lot of food. I just feel like eating less food. And so the first couple of weeks of, of a cut are, are usually pretty easy. There's usually very little when you're doing it correctly, very little in the way of hunger cravings. It's, it's, it's very straightforward. It starts to become more difficult. Maybe after four to six weeks is when people start to feel it a little bit. And so what's nice about this approach is you get that little bit of fat loss every, every four to six weeks. And you usually, you don't really even notice that much of a difference. Mm. Maybe in the gym, your progress is, uh, it stalls out a little bit well, for, for a couple of weeks, but you still have good workouts. Um, you're not hungry. And then you just rinse and repeat that way. Where again, how four... many
1: cycles would you need to do that? Like if I was to start that in January or for any listener who wants to do this, we're going to do like six weeks on two, three weeks off. How long yep. would you cycle that? Would it be up to sort of June?
0: I mean, it, you could do that indefinitely. Um, okay. it just depends on how you want to look. There's no, there's no problem with doing that. Uh, until you have your, uh, your maintenance physique, really your ideal physique, where then you no longer um, want to, I mean, maybe you're like, sure, I I don't want to lose muscle. So I don't mind if I gain small amounts of muscle going forward, but I can't point to something and say, I I really would like to add to there, you know, you're pretty happy with everything. There's nothing wrong with using that mini gain, mini cut approach to get there. Just know that it's going to take a bit longer than if you committed to uh, a longer lean gain and a longer cutting phase. Um, phase. But again, the, the most important thing here is to do what's going to work for you. And what I've found is guys tend to be more inclined to go with the longer lean gaining because they don't, a lot of guys, they don't mind so much if they start out fairly lean and they look at themselves, uh, let's say at 15% body fat and by adding fat, they also look bigger, especially in clothes and they still look good. They still look athletic. They still have some abs. They just go, yeah, that's cool. That's great. Um, and, and whereas many women are less they're, they're, they're not as excited about the fat gain Mm. and the size that it adds everywhere. Right. Yeah, exactly. They find that they like that mini gain, mini cut approach more because they can then add the, add the muscle and they can continue to sculpt their physique in the direction that they want. And they can minimize the fat gain. And then when it comes time, let's say the, okay, we're now approaching spring, the weather's going to be warming up. And then they only have maybe four to six weeks of cutting and they're right back to their beach body, so to speak. And Interesting. so it, the, it the sounds quite is, fun
1: as well. Cause I quite like yeah.
0: the variety. Exactly. So the key is do what is most appealing to you and do what you're going to enjoy most. Uh, don't do something that maybe is more quote unquote, scientifically optimal for achieving your goal, but that you're going to be uh, unhappy with that you are, Mm. where you're not looking forward to your workouts, or you're not looking forward to the next phase. You're not looking forward to continuing to eat all this food. Don't make it, uh, more difficult than it needs to be, especially when you're like, Hey, I can be patient. I don't care. I don't care if it takes twice as long instead of a year of consistent, uh, chipping away at this to, to get to exactly what I want to be, but having to not enjoy that year, uh, really at all, or a year and a half or two years where I'm having a good time really. And the, I'm enjoying the, the, the process, uh, I would recommend the latter, not the The
1: latter one. Can we dive into a little bit then, because we talked about the nutrition and I think for those listening, you summarized it really well. So it's like 10% in a surplus and then Mm -hmm. 20, 25% deficit. The protein is key as we've spoken about. And then with the fats and the carbs, it's kind of down to them. And often like a lot of my audience will know, I do look a little bit at people's genetics if they can, because some people are more fat sensitive, right? Some people more carbs. But then when we're looking at the training, what's going to be the difference in terms of to actually build that muscle, and then we look at the cutting phase. How is their training going to vary? And how much strength training is required out of a week? Like, how many times you've got to hit certain body parts, and what kind of reps and sets compared to then the cutting phase, and how much cardio?
0: Yeah, so fortunately, on the strength training side of things, you don't really change anything when you're lean gaining versus cutting, except for if you are an intermediate or advanced weightlifter. You're probably going to do more volume when you're lean gaining because you can get away with it because your body can recover from it. And there's different ways of looking at volume, but a, a very productive practical way is hard sets, which are muscle building sets, working sets, sets that you take close to muscle failure. So not your warm up sets, or maybe warm down sets that some people do your hard sets, your training sets. And for example, if you're an intermediate and advanced weightlifter, what you'll find is that you probably have to do between um, 12 and maybe 16 hard sets for a major muscle group per week to make consistent progress. If you're only doing nine sets per week, or maybe six sets per week for, to keep it simple, let's say your, your legs, for example, your lower body, you'll find that that's, that's enough for maintenance. You're not going to lose muscle or strength per se. Uh, but You're probably not going to gain either to gain. You're just going to have to work a bit harder and you push that volume higher when you're in a calorie surplus, because like I mentioned uh, earlier, that's when your body's muscle building machinery is firing on Mm -hmm. all cylinders and it's able, you're able to recover from that training or your body's able to repair that muscle tissue. And when you're in a calorie deficit, your body's ability to do those things is impaired. So you usually bring your volume down a little bit because you're not going to be able to gain much muscle to speak of when you're in a calorie deficit, unless you're new and your body is going to struggle to recover from the same amount of training volume that you were doing when you're in a calorie surplus. But beyond that, you don't make any changes. And you actually, when you're cutting, you try to make progress. There's a point when you become advanced enough where you can't make any progress anymore but you still try meaning in those hard sets you don't just phone it in and go through the the motions no you are trying to beat your last performance even if it's by one rep or you're trying to beat your last performance even if it's just r- uh, reps in reserve is the technical term meaning when you're doing a set and and as it starts to get hard ask yourself how many more good reps do I think I can do meaning reps with good form, not where you're starting to get wacky with your form. Right. And that's called your reps in reserve. And if you grabbed, let's say you're squatting hundred pounds and you do eight reps and it's getting hard and you're, you're thinking to yourself, all right, how many more good reps do I have? And, and I recommend in most of your training, especially with the bigger exercises, leaving, probably about two good reps still in reserve. Certainly one, I do not recommend consistently, for example, pushing to a point where you feel like that was it. That was my last good rep. If I try to do another rep, I'm going to fail. Okay. That's interesting. Yep. And certainly not pushing to absolute failure. You can do that with smaller, uh, less demanding exercises. Like, okay, fine. If you want to do that, if you want to push very close to failure on your biceps curls, not a big deal, or your dumbbell side raises, not a big deal, but your deadlift, I I do not recommend that as a consistent, um,
1: is this because of the risk of injury or the taxing of the central nervous system? Okay.
0: Both it's the risk of injury. And it's not only the taxing of the central nervous system. That's actually less of an issue than the you have fatigue in, in, um, the, the muscles that you're training. You have also, uh, it it places a lot of, of demands in terms of muscle damage and, and, and repair and recovery. And it's just gonna, and this is a mistake I, I made, uh, when probably about, let's see, 10 years ago or so, and I was training too hard too consistently. And I started to have more um, repetitive stress injuries. And I got some biceps tendinitis, and I had hurt my SI joint deadlifting, doing exactly this, making this mistake, mm. pushing too hard, too consistently on my debt, on my deadlift. Now, 10 years later, I'm 37 now. So when I was 27, of course I was in my physical prime, basically I was, I was as physically invincible as, and that's anybody, when you're in your twenties, you're basically invincible. You're as invincible as you're- you're going to be in your life. Right. And so even then I was, I was running into some problems though in my invincibility days, but now 10 years later, I do not make that mistake anymore. I'm always leaving at least one or two good reps still in the tank. And I'm stronger now than I was then relative to body weight. And I rarely ever have even nagging aches and pains. Sometimes you get a little bit here and there that's inevitable. And there's nothing that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, but I would say I'm, uh, I'm consistently now more functional. And one of the major changes was this point. I stopped, it, it took discipline really, because it is kind of fun and you want to get in there mm-hmm. and you want to give it your all, but I consistently Now train a little bit less intensely. It's a little bit, it's still and and research shows actually that as far as gaining muscle and strength goes, it's just as effective to go up to that point again where you're approaching failure. You're a rep or two, or maybe even three reps away from failing. So it's hard and you know, you're working, but you're not working to the maximum capacity. Mm -hmm. That is just as effective as consistently going to failure. So ironically. By going beyond that point of one to two good reps left, you're not really getting much for that effort. And All this is doing. per
1: set. You would leave a little bit yep, in reserve. Every set, per every every, set. And yep. what range are you looking at? Or do you change them depending on the muscle group? Because I remember doing a personal training course and learning that, you know, for strength training, it's like one to five reps, but you're not increasing size. And then hypertrophy was sort of eight to 12 and then endurance reps. You can get there, but you're doing for, for the smaller muscle groups, maybe more often you're doing like 12 to 20 reps. How would you split that? Out. So, someone's trying to put on muscle. Where would they be working in terms of rep ranges?
0: Yeah, that that's a bit of an outdated model. Um, it's it's it, it's like 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 the bulky myth. It's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely accurate. What's more accurate is, and this is I would say a, a better representation of the current weight of the evidence is, you can gain muscle working in any rep range, really. Okay, but. It requires a certain amount of volume. And that's the, that's the kicker, meaning that, and I had mentioned this when you're new, you can get away with just maybe nine ish, maybe 10 or so hard sets per major muscle group per week. And you can even do all of those hard sets in one session per week. Meaning not that you have to follow a body part split, but you can do perfectly fine with a body part split. When you're new, there are reasons to to set things up differently. And some of that comes down to personal preference, but now as an intermediate uh, or advanced weightlifter, let's say you have to do like for me to make any progress, I'm looking at 15, 16 hard sets per major muscle group per week. And for the more stubborn muscle groups, I probably would have to do upward of 20 or so, which means that I would have to do less of everything else. And you run into a couple of problems now when you're having to do that much volume. If you're only trying to do heavy, heavy weights, let's say you're just Mm -hmm. trying to do threes, fours, fives, maybe some sixes. And that's it. Let's say for your lower body, 15 hard sets per week, that is going to put a lot of demands on your joints in particular. That's what you're going to find is your your knees are probably going to start hurting. Your hips are probably going to start hurting. Your back is going to probably start hurting, especially if you're doing the same thing with your deadlifting and and on your other pulling. And so what you'll find is it, it, it becomes impractical to try to do all of your training in that heavy, heavy rep range. And so this is one of the reasons why Periodization, which is a term that just means focusing on specific things. If we just take a general definition, focusing on specific goals uh, in specific periods of time and in weightlifting, when we, when we periodize our training, generally that just refers to changing rep ranges. And there are different ways to do that, but working in a variety of rep ranges has been shown to be more effective for strength gain. In particular. And as we know that the primary, uh, the, the most effective way to gain muscle as an intermediate and advanced weightlifter is to gain strength. It's reasonable to assume that periodizing training is also better for muscle building when you are an intermediate and advanced weightlifter. So what does that mean practically? Um, if, if we wanted to just give like a, a good rule of thumb, I would say that, um, a good setup is probably about 20 to 30% of your Lifting is in, is let's say four to six rep range. So that's like 80 to 85% of one rep max, pretty heavy, right? Um, 20 to 30% is going to be at the higher. So call it 10 to 12. I don't see a reason to go much beyond that. That's probably around 65 to 75%. And then the bulk of your training is going to be in that seven, eight, nine, 10 rep range. So the, the, depending on how it's set up, it it could be 60% of your training or, or a bit less, if you're doing a little bit more of the heavy and lighter stuff. And if you approach it that way, I do think that that's probably most effective for muscle building and it allows for consistent strength building as well, uh, for intermediate and, and advanced weightlifters. And the reason why I keep saying for intermediate and advanced weightlifters is research shows that novices do not appear to benefit from periodization. And there are probably a couple of reasons for that. One is what I mentioned Earlier, when we start training, our body's hyper-responsive and your average girl or woman, she's going to be able to gain 10 or 15 pounds of muscle in her first year. Your average dude, 15-ish pounds. And we know that you don't need to periodize your training to do that. For women, you could start out just doing sixes, eights, tens. Let's say like in my program for women, thinner, leaner, stronger, I recommend most of that work in the eight to 10 rep range. You can work in some six to eight if you want, but women can do great for their first year, let's say doing nothing but eight to 10. So, and there are different ways to to progress in that setup, but there, she's always doing eight, nine, 10 reps. Maybe there's the occasional seven or 11 that's fine, but that's really her rep range in men uh they can they can do great in their first year doing nothing but fours fives sixes maybe some sevens and eights on a couple of exercises where it's just impractical like it's kind of hard to do fours fives and sixes with a dumbbell raise for example but most exercises biceps a lot of the stuff they're doing can just be fours fives and sixes and they do not need to periodize they do not need to make their training more complex than it needs to be but for the intermediate and advanced weightlifters Again, there's the practical for men. If they try to keep doing a uh, heavy, heavy, okay, they're like, "All right, I'm doing 10 sets for my lower body per week. They're all four, fives, and sixes. I need to go up to 15. That's going to be very difficult to to continue doing. It's going to become painful. It's going to become a problem. However, if they now change their their approach and they say, "Okay, I need to do 15 of these uh, uh, 15 hard sets per week." And I'm going to uh, make sure that, um, 30% or so I'm going to continue doing that heavy stuff, but now I'm going to also be doing some higher rep stuff. What they'll find is that they can now recover from that, um, that their joints are not always aching and they're not being limited Mm. by joint issues. Um, and, and in, in women, what they'll find usually if they, if they start with lighter weights, which I generally recommend because women, they can gain muscle very effectively about as effectively as men. If you look at it relative to body weight in an absolute sense, men can gain more muscle, um, uh, per month and also, you know, over the course of their lifetime. However, relative to body weight, women can gain muscle about as effectively as men. They just can't gain as much. And so what I've found is that because women start out generally a lot weaker than men, where a guy can, uh, your average guy, he's going to start out bench pressing, maybe 85 to hundred pounds, your average gal maybe the bar, right. 45 pounds, maybe not even, maybe they have to start with dumbbells. Um, so by, by starting in a higher rep range, it allows them to learn the exercises, get proper form. And it's a little bit less intimidating than telling a woman, all right, we're going to start squatting with, you know, fours, fives, and sixes. Mm. Um, it, it makes sense for them. I think to use a bit less weight initially, get good at the exercises, gain muscle, gain strength, and then start uh, working in some heavier stuff a little bit later, once they have a good foundation. And so then again, periodizing that training, working in a variety of rep ranges, and that is is the most effective way to approach it. Now, there are different ways to periodize, obviously. And, um, it would be probably a whole nother episode to explain my preferred methods, but people can just go to my website, legionathletics.com search for periodization, and you'll find uh, an article I wrote and a podcast all on that. And I, I break, I break down different methods of periodizing and my personal preferred method and how I periodize my training and how I set it up in my program for intermediate and advanced weightlifters. And so people, if they want to anybody listening who, if, if they're thinking that's, I need to do that because that, that is where I'm at. Then I would recommend just checking out that article or podcast
1: yeah, we'll link to that. I'll find that and link to that in the uh, yeah. in the show notes. That's really helpful. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And in terms of like um, the amount of cardio that they should be doing then because often people really overdo, the cardio. And I think like, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think from a kind of low intensity, steady state, actually just us moving more and like going out, walking your dogs, things like that can cover your bases really well. It might be like a case of peppering in some high intensity work. I'm just curious what your thoughts are when you're trying to gain muscle, when you're trying to lose fat, how much cardio you should be doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I think walking is one of the most underrated forms of cardio. I, I, Um, I recommend my, my position on cardio has shifted over the years. I was once more pro high intensity interval training, especially when the research was suggesting that it might have some particularly unique fat loss benefits in addition to the extra calorie burn. But it, it appears that that's not the case that those theories didn't pan out. And it mostly is just burning more calories, the downside to high intensity work, true high intensity work. And by that, I mean, if you look into the literature, and, and you look at the types of workouts that these people are doing, um, when you are doing a high intensity sprint, it is really supposed to be an all out maximum 10 out of 10 effort. I mean, you should not be able to speak in more than maybe single words. Like you certainly, you're not even having anything remotely, uh, uh, that even that would be a a conversation at all. You can get out maybe words, but you are gasping for breath at the ends of these, at the ends of these sprints. And that that's not how many people do their high intensity. Uh, It's maybe like high ish intensity and it's more
1: vigorous exercise, isn't it? Rather than high intensity. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. It's where, again, if you can get out full sentences before having to get a breath, you're not going hard enough in in your sprints. Right. And by the, especially as you get deeper into those sprints, let's say you're doing 30 second sprints on a bike, or maybe it's 45 or even 60. If you're fit, certainly by the midpoint of that sprint, if you can still, uh, speak in full sentences before having to catch your breath, you're not going hard enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so my, my recommendation is, uh, is, is now not that not to not do in high, high intensity stuff, but um let's start with a with a broad recommendation of and this is this would apply to cutting or lean gaining lean gaining if somebody is very resistant to, if they're not a high let's say they're a lower responder to training and they find it's very hard to gain muscle and strength they might need to eliminate cardio altogether walking totally fine but no even moderate intensity. Like they're not going for jogs. They're not going for more intense bike rides. That's not most people. Most people can do that stuff and still gain muscle and strength, but some people, they do need to, they do need to pretty much eliminate moderate intensity cardio. Now walking is great though. And that's something that I recommend. Even the 10,000 steps thing is actually a useful, that's a, it's a useful goal to, to, to work toward. And so taking the stairs instead of taking the elevator, for example, um, uh, walking instead of driving, if it's a short distance, uh, going, just, just making it a, a thing to go out for a walk, especially in nature, if you can do that, because that is probably also going to boost your mood. Um, a lot of us are very busy. So like what I do personally is I don't go for a walk. I hop on a bike and I, and I do a little bit, it's like a moderate intensity, Kind of biking, uh, steady state session. Um, But usually I'm doing some sort of call because every day or so I have at least one or two or three work calls that it's not inappropriate for me to be kind of breathing. I can have a conversation, but clearly I'm doing something. I wouldn't do it on a podcast, but if it's a, Uh, a work call related to my sports nutrition company. And I have to coordinate with my, you know, my people, whatever, totally fine. Or even sometimes it's calls where people, I'm just telling them, Hey, I'm on a bike so you're going to hear me breathing a little bit, just so you know. And they're like, oh, okay. Uh, but I can kind of, I guess I can get away with it. So like, oh yeah, he's like a fitness guy. So he's I'm a fitness
1: gonna... guy. I guess but it's that, also I guess... a really good use of your time, right? Because otherwise exactly. people have to try and find the time to do this stuff. So it's exactly. actually really good.
0: Exactly. And so a lot of us, we, we do have uh, some version of that that we can sneak in, right? And so so walking is great. You, you can't overdo the walking, really. So as much as you want to walk, uh, whether you are... Uh, lean gaining or cutting is, uh, is totally fine. Now, of course, if you're walking 20 hours a week, okay, that's going to be a bit of an issue. If you're walking so much that you're sore from it. Okay. That's a bit much, but you got to do a lot of walking to get Mm -hmm. to that point. Right. And, and it burns a few hundred calories an hour as well. So that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. And if you want to increase the calorie burning, a real easy way to do that is to add some weight. So throw
1: some books in a backpack, for example, and that or a weighted vest, right? I do that sometimes. Sure. Yep. And that. I noticed that walking actually, like even in a fastest state in the morning is amazing. It lowers your resting pulse quite dramatically. If you haven't, you know, if you haven't done it for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll build your cardiovascular capacity and adding weight, weighted vest, um, ankle weights, or, Again, if people want just a, I mean, if they, if they would feel a little bit, maybe self-conscious with ankle weights or, or a weighted vest, or they don't want to buy anything again, just throw some, throw some books in a backpack and and there you go. And, and that, that would be your. for, we would call that rucking uh, would be, I guess the, the term. And you can, you can boost your calorie burn that way. You can walk a little bit faster as you get more fit. That also of course increases calorie burn. So you can, you can get a lot of mileage from walking and more, uh, let's say higher intensity. So let's say now we're entering the range of like what I'm doing, maybe a four or five out of 10, where I can have a conversation, but I am, having to catch my breath a little bit. You can hear that I'm breathing. I'm exerting myself. It's not obnoxious, but I wouldn't do it on a podcast. It would be weird. Right. Um, whereas walking, you probably, if you're, if you're walking leisurely enough, you could have a conversation and somebody probably wouldn't know if you have decent cardiovascular fitness. So that now, if we enter that type of cardio, I would recommend not doing more then one half of the amount of time you spend training your muscles. So if so you the moderate or the
1: walking, the walking is as much the walking as you like. I would say
0: is unlimited. Yeah. Just don't do so much that you are sore. If you're yeah. getting sore from all your walking, that's a bit much, but, um, so walking, let's just say that's unlimited, but now more cardio as people think about it, where they hop on the elliptical and they're kind of going at it. They hop on the bike, going at it, going for jogs and that, that kind of thing let's let's limit it to about half of the time that you spend training your muscles. So if you're training your muscles four or five hours per week, let's limit the cardio to two ish hours per week, the moderate intensity cardio to two ish hours per week. and then, and that would that would that would apply to both cutting and lean gaining as well. And then for the high intensity stuff, I would say no more than about an hour per week period um, because and I also would recommend don't don't sprint on pavement because it's just going to beat you up. It, it's mm. it's great for building your cardio, um, and even sprinting on grass. Uh, it, it, it obviously it, it takes out some of the impact, but what you will probably find is if you are squatting and deadlifting and, and pushing hard in your uh, strength training the sprinting is going to get in the way of that. You're, you're just going to always be sore in your lower body. I tried this. I was probably 25 at the time. So even more physiologically invincible than 27. And I just couldn't do it. I was doing a few sessions of sprinting per week. And my hip flexors, in particular, everything around my in the uh, my lower body and my hips, it, got, it just was perpetually sore. Could not recover. Um, got in the way of my squatting, my deadlifting, and so I had to stop. and And most people find that as well. And it it it. it then if you, some people, they go, okay, well then I'll do it on a bike or I'll do it on a rower or I'll do it in a swimming pool where there's no impact. And that's better in that it, in that it produces less muscle damage, less tissue damage. But if you are doing true high intensity work, it still is very demanding on your body. It still places additional recovery demands It is much more stressful on your body, certainly than walking or, or lower intensity work. And we can only push our bodies so far. And if you think about stress, we we've been talking a lot about the physical stress that comes with training. That's stress that our body has to recover from. Right. And our body, it's not that stress is bad. Acute stress is, is great. That's what we're doing. Really. We're acutely stressing our body. Uh, when we train cortisol levels go up, And then though, our body needs to recover stress levels have to come down so our body can recover and build its capacity to withstand more stress. And so if we're training hard in the gym, we're also doing a a fair amount of walking, very low stress, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit, uh, we're doing some moderate intensity cardio, a little bit more stress. And we're doing high intensity cardio, uh, high stress, and we have a calorie deficit, let's say. More stress. Oh, yes, it's a lot of and, stress. And
1: you're and, fasting, and, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And and maybe we're
0: not <laughs> sleeping so well because mm-hmm. of whatever, more stress. And think about the emotional and psychological stresses of just living. I mean, not we're we've only talked about training. What about life? Right. Mm. Maybe there are some financial stresses, that's stress. Maybe in in relationships of any kind, maybe that's stress. Uh, with Corona doom and all of that nonsense, even more stress. And so um, this is going to vary from person to person, but we can only handle so much stress. And our goal of course, is to be able to handle more and more stress, but we have to be also cognizant of, of our, our limitations as they are right now. And so that's why I, I, I don't, um, I don't recommend, Hit as much uh, high-intensity interval training as much as I used to, and and I do recommend limiting it to uh, an hour per week. And I would recommend that would 14. be an
1: hour split, presumably into Correct. like no more than thirty-minute session, because that's where the cortisol yep. kind of really ramps up, isn't it? After yep. about thirty minutes.
0: Yep, I recommend twenty to thirty minutes of an individual session, and if you haven't done this type of stuff before, you might even want to start with fifteen minutes and work up to that 20 to maybe 30 minutes. And then you are doing, if you want to do more of it, you're doing no more than a couple of sessions per week. Um, but if we're now just looking at bottom line results, if, if we're not, if we don't care too much about maximizing our cardiovascular capacity, if you want to do that, if you're, if you're an endurance athlete, or you just are curious how good you can get at endurance activity, then you actually do want to include some high intensity work in your regimen. But if you're just looking for body comp and you're saying, look, I want to lose fat. I want to lose it as effectively as I can without messing anything up. And I want to have good cardio because it boosts cardiovascular health. Um, it it's even more relevant these days. Uh, research has shown, for example, that, um, that cardiovascular capacity is particularly good for minimizing risk with covid. Uh, I understand that most people are, are not covid doesn't pose that much of a risk to most people despite what the media would have you believe if you look at the hard data uh, it's it's not you quickly realize that but that doesn't mean that somebody who's healthy and who's physically active can't get unlucky. It's not something to be worried about per se, but Uh, if you can, for example, protect yourself even more from COVID and benefit in many other ways, your body composition benefits, your, uh, your cardiovascular system benefits and COVID aside, if we want to live a long, healthy life, we want to have a really good heart. We want to have really good blood vessels. We want to have a really good cardiovascular system. And so it makes sense to, to make cardio just a regular part of your regimen. And if that's your goal, then you don't have to do any high intensity work. You could stick to, it could be mostly walking. It could be, uh, if you're like, all right, I'm going to do two hours of cardio per week. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do an hour of walking per week and an hour of moderate intensity. You could do that. You could do a bit more walking. If you want, you're like, you know, I actually like going for a 30 minute walk every day. And again, we can almost not count that quote unquote towards your cardio quota. And then if, if, if that's not enough for, for you or for your goals, you then could add some moderate intensity on top of that. Totally fine. You don't have to do high intensity unless you want to. And the reason to do it, to add it, if we're talking body comp is it does burn a lot of calories. It does. Mm. And so that is going to speed up fat loss to some degree.
1: And also isn't the high intensity work from the research I've seen, it does help your mitochondria. It seems to like sprinting seems to help with mitochondrial density, right? Which is good over yep. the longer term. I guess my question to so people listening, because I'm like, I'm 46. So my recovery is probably going to be greater than yours, right? We're almost 10 years apart. So I'm probably going to need to be careful with that high intensity, how much I'm putting in on top of lifting and three children and a business to run and two dogs, as you said, and all these other things. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going on
0: demands. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, and and that's where, um, you just have to, you have to be in tune with your body, so to speak. And there, there is something to be said to quote unquote, listening to your body. Some people poo poo that, uh, I, I disagree, especially someone like you who has gotten to where you've gotten. And, and if you've been paying attention to your body along the way, you have developed a sensitivity in a good way you you've become attuned to your body and you probably do have just how when um i was mentioning reps in reserve and some some people there are concerned that that, that sounds too subjective like is it how accurate is that really well research shows that it actually it is fairly accurate especially in people who are experienced weightlifters where where they when when in in research studies when experienced weightlifters have um, again, it's just asking yourself that question: How many good reps left? Good reps left. You don't have to even. You don't even have to sub vocalize it. You just have the concept, right? Uh, one, two, maybe. And then in studies, they would have people actually go to failure. All right, go. And what they found is that more experienced weightlifters were were actually pretty accurate in their predictions. And these were not just self self fulfilling prophecies because they were having to go to absolute failure. Like if you're squatting, that means you cannot finish the rep. You get to the bottom Mm -hmm. and that is it. You have to, you have to sit the weight down on the, on the this is
1: dangerous for injury.
0: Don't do that. Don't do Isn't that. I'm it? just saying yeah. for the yeah, for the purpose of I made oh, yeah, of the
1: science. Yeah.
0: Just just exactly for them to understand. Now, in the case of these studies, they were not doing it on a barbell squat. They were doing it like on something that's safe like a leg press, for example, where um now again, that's not me recommending that, but of course, the researchers they, they set it up in a way that people were not going to get hurt. They just wanted to see how accurate their predictions were. And they found that in in novices, less, less accurate, but as people got experienced more accurate. And the same thing goes for most people in terms of intuitions with their body and how are they recovering? How are they feeling? You have objective measures of that. Like if you are consistently sore, consistently lower energy, consistently lower mood, sleep is consistently disrupted. You're probably not recovering from your training Mm -hmm. uh, that it can be obvious, but many people, as they become more experienced, they can already, they don't have to let it get that far because they just have enough experience. They've developed a good intuition to say, I think I'm, I'm overreaching. I'm, I'm pushing a little bit too much. And maybe I'm noticing, for example, like something I notice that is, is objective, but I'm attuned to it is if I push too much, what I'll find is that in my weightlifting, uh, the weights, my normal training weights, they just start to feel heavier. So my reps mm. in reserve, we could look at it. I've as noticed
1: going, that, especially yep. if you're tired, right? Yep. I've really Your noticed that. Your reps in
0: reserve go down, right? So you're you're squatting 135 or whatever, and let's say you do eight, and uh, previously you could do eight with maybe two good reps left. Now you're doing eight with zero good reps left. Like that eighth rep was a grinder, which I don't recommend, but it, it just Th- threw you off because you, you figured that it was not going to be like that, that, that for example, is an objective thing that, um, you can, you can notice, but you have to be more experienced to understand like, okay, that's not necessarily a, a, a huge red flag, but it's a signal. And there mm-hmm. are other signals that you become attuned to. And so listening to your body in terms of how much stress can you handle? Am I doing too much? Um, especially again, as you become more experienced, your instinctive answer to that, I think it, it makes sense to give that some weight where instinctively, if you just know in your heart of hearts, I'm doing a bit much. I think, I think it's, uh, I should, I should change something here. Right. And so for some people, for example, it is, I should get a bit more sleep and I've made that mistake of trying to get by on just enough, just enough sleep, because I have a lot of things to do. And I would like to do these things. I I would prefer to not sleep at all. If I didn't have to, I don't, I don't like, I don't (laughs) don't dislike it, but you know, it's just dead. I'd rather be doing it gets
1: in the way. Right. It's like, (laughs) I look at it like that. Like how many hours do I actually need to sleep to feel good? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was going to ask, because um, you've been so generous with your time before, before you go, this, there's, there's a few more questions I have, which is a lot of people get confused on this cardio, does it matter? Do you need to do it before or post weight training? How much of an impact does that have? And then another question I often get asked by people is, should I pre fuel? Because my, my view in, in terms of like, if you are working out in a faster state, for example, and you've had some carbs at night, and your kind of muscle glycogen is replete, then you shouldn't necessarily have to pre fuel. But if you can't work out as hard, then absolutely you should, because the important thing is to make the workout count, right? But I'm just really curious on those things like cardio, pre-fueling, post-fueling, because you've done all the research, what your thoughts are there.
0: Yeah. I would recommend, I would not recommend doing cardio before you lift. If you're going to, if you want to just warm up and get moving, that's fine. Like if you want to do five or 10 minutes of walking on a treadmill or walk to the gym, don't make it a 45 minute walk. That would be a bit much, but if it's a short walk and it just gets you, it raises your body temperature a little bit. And particularly let's say you're going to train your lower body and it just helps you feel ready to lift. Then that's fine. But don't do cardio workouts before you lift simply because it's going to sap your energy, it's going to hurt your performance in your lifting. It just will. Now, in in terms of doing cardio after it's okay, if you have to do it directly after, but if we want to optimize our results in our lifting in particular, ideally we would separate our cardio and our lifting by at least a few hours, whether it's before or after. Um, again, I would personally, I would lift first because if you're doing even a set, am I vigorous? And I've experienced this, a semi vigorous cardio workout, um, let's say at, at 8 AM, and then you're going to go lift even at like one or two, you, you, will probably find that you can do better in your weightlifting. If you flip those around, Mm -hmm. Um, it might be offset a little bit by training later in the day. Most people are a little bit stronger. They have a little bit better of a workout when they've gotten some food in them and their body temperature has come up. And there are some hormonal changes, particularly in men that help. Uh, But ideally you're separating your your cardio and your lifting by several hours and to to explain that in very simple terms it's at a at a more cellular level at, at, if you look at the biology involved the the message that is sent to your body and the adaptation required um when you lift versus when you cardio, very different messages, very different adaptations. And if you are doing them back to back, you get kind of a mixed message phenomenon Mm -hmm. and it's in the literature, they refer to it as the interference effect, and it's not a huge deal. So if you have to do your cardio after, because that's the only time that you have, it's okay. Uh, But ideally you would separate those things by as much time as you can. Most people Uh, They, they find that they can do a workout early in the day and then later in the day. And if you have to do your cardio early in the day, no problem. It's again, not a big deal. It's going to, um, you'll, you'll be fine. But, um, for, for best results, if, if people have unlimited schedule flexibility, then I would say probably weightlifting between 11 and one. And then doing cardio, maybe around six or seven. So not too close to bedtime. Um, Assuming that doesn't interrupt sleep, that's probably an ideal setup. But if, if that doesn't work for anybody listening um, again, not a big deal.
1: And what about like lifting days? How many days a week do you need to be lifting to get enough sets in? Depends. It
0: depends how experienced you are. Right? So if you're brand new, you can make progress on one day a week. You could do one full body workout per week. Now you're going to do better with more, but that will be enough to make changes. Uh, three days a week is where you get to, I would say now you are going to get, you can get most of your potential muscle and strength gain on three days a week, five days a week is slightly better because it gives you more flexibility in in how you can set up your training. Um, now intermediate and advanced weightlifters three days a week becomes a maintenance routine. Mostly Mm -hmm. you you might be able to progress, like maybe on one muscle group, you might be able to set it up so you can get enough work in on one or maybe two muscle groups, but then you kind of have to just maintain on the rest. And so you could cycle through that way. If you only have three days, you could say, all right, the next training block, I'm going to be working a lot on my lower body and the rest is going to be maintenance. Okay, good. The next training block, I'm going to work a lot on my push muscles and then I'm going to just be maintaining really. I can only only have enough time to maintain, to get enough volume yeah. in to maintain. Okay. Now I'm going to work on my pull muscles. And so that's a workable way of doing it. Five days a week or four or five days a week as an intermediate and advanced weightlifter allows you now to, um, progress in multiple major muscle groups at the same time, just because you now have the time to get in the volume that's needed and, um, So, so yeah. And then you had asked also about pre and post-workout nutrition. It's pretty simple. So if you haven't eaten protein in let's say at least the two hours or so preceding your workout and you're not training fasted, then I would recommend having some protein before you train. Um, Same thing goes for carbs. If you haven't eaten carbs in a couple of hours before a workout, you're probably going to have a slightly better workout with 30 to 60 grams of carbs or so. Um, And in terms of a protein serving. You know, 30-ish grams, 20 to 40, and, and that range mostly is just related to body weight. So someone like you, you might just do 20 grams of protein, 30, 35 grams of carbs because you're smaller. me, I might do a bit more um, toward, toward the higher end of that range. And then um, as far as post-workout nutrition, it's smart to have a serving of protein within probably an hour or so of finishing your workout. So let's say you don't, and, and, and also on the pre-workout timing, if we want to be ideal, you're probably eating 30 to 45 minutes before you train. And most people, they don't like to feel full. Like I don't like, especially if I'm squatting no, or dead, I think, cause I feel like I'm going to throw up. Actually. Same here.
1: I did it the other day and it was a real mistake. Cause I usually train in the morning and I, my son had a tennis lesson. So I was like, right, I'll go to the gym at two. And I'd had a lunch before and it was just protein and veg, but I just couldn't lift. I just, I just, I actually thought I was going to throw up. <laughs>
0: Yep. Yep. And yeah. I, I I'll run into that if I have too much liquid as well. So if I have a protein shake and, and uh, pre-workout, right. So if I drink too much liquid and then go and deadlift. I've made that mistake where I'm like almost throwing up my, my <laughs> liquid. Right. So you, you have to find what works for you in that regard. But most people, they find that a protein shake is nice because you can mix it with a smaller amount of water. So it, it just, you don't really even, it doesn't fill your stomach. And then for, for carbs, fruit is great. You can pick any carb that you like. Really. You don't, you don't have to try to optimize. You don't have to drink some expensive carb supplement. Um, you know, like I would eat a banana and, uh, or maybe even two bananas or a banana and some blueberries or strawberries, which also just helps of course, toward our nutrition goals. We should be getting in a couple of servings of fruit per day. So it's easy to do that before you train eating carbs after you work out less important. Uh, If you're really concerned with muscle and strength building, it might make sense to have some carbs with your post-workout protein, but the post-workout protein, it is, it is smart. You don't have to try to rush to get your protein. Oh, anabolic window. That's not true, but uh, it does probably makes sense again, about an hour within an hour or so of finishing your workout. So to put like, okay, so let's say 30 or 45 minutes before you train, you're having a protein shake, maybe a banana, something like that. It's And then you get to the gym and you don't really feel like there's anything in your stomach. You're not hungry, but it's not, you're not going to feel like you're throwing up or have to throw up. You train for about an hour or so. And so now about an hour 45 has elapsed, right? Since you had that serving of protein, And then an hour or so later, you get home, you take a shower, you do some things, and then you make another protein shake or you eat some food, whatever you want, eat some high protein yogurt and make a snack out of it, whatever. Um, it, it, we're now approaching that three hour mark since you last ate protein, um, which is, is not, it's not necessary, but if we want to optimize muscle building, Ideally we are having a serving of protein every three to five hours. There is something to be said for protein timing, like having four or five servings of protein per day is going to be better for building muscle than having one or two very large servings per day.
1: Okay. So actually doing long fasting periods when you're trying to gain is not a good idea.
0: It's, it's not so much the, I mean, yes, but I just want to make sure that, uh, it's not the fasting per se. That is the issue. It's just the, the, what happens. So you eat protein and it, it kickstarts your body's muscle building machinery, right? Uh, particularly the leucine and an essential amy, amino acid, it, it gets the muscle building machinery going. And then of course your body It digests the protein and it breaks it down into amino acids. And those are the building blocks that the machinery needs to actually repair tissue and build tissue. So you have this anabolic, uh, activity going on, right. And depending on what type of protein you ate and, um, what you ate it with and some other factors that might, let's say run for a couple of hours or so. And then it's done. And the Mm. the machinery is your body doesn't start breaking protein down, but the machinery just turns off and it just sits and it waits for another stimulus. Training is, is a stimulus, but it's also a stimulus for muscle protein breakdown as well, because we are, that, that is, that is what's happening when we are training our muscles. And then research shows that muscle protein breakdown rates start to ramp up after training in particular. So training on the whole is more of a catabolic activity. we, really do build muscle out of the gym. And we have to support Mm. that with nutrition. Training itself is mostly breaking down muscle while we're doing it. Um, there, there, it does get counteracted a little bit with, with some of this anabolic activity, some of this muscle, uh, building machinery kind of turning on again, but of course it still needs those amino acids. It needs those building blocks to actually make a, a difference in terms of our body composition. And so if you only eat, let's say one or two big servings of protein per day, the, the muscle building machinery, it does turn on and it is going to run a bit longer than it would if it had less protein. But unfortunately you're not going to get as much net muscle gain as eating smaller amounts. And so the machinery turns on there's, there's some, some wastage, so to speak, when you give it 80 or 100 grams of protein in one go, it can't. Yeah, because you can't
1: can't use it all. That's interesting. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so if you wake
1: up, it has been shown. And if you wake up in the morning and you are exercising in a faster state, so on busy days, this is what I'll do and I'll weight train. It's interesting what you said about particularly for men, they find it easier later in the day because I do notice a difference between me and my husband. I seem to be able to get out of bed and within 30 minutes, like if I have some black coffee, I can strength train quite easily. He finds that hard. Um, would I, should I, or should anyone listening who's doing this be taking like some amino acids or are you okay? You've just got enough from before, because I would do that in a fully fasted. Sometimes I'll take aminos and I'm I'm never really, I haven't noticed a massive difference. I do notice when I take a bit of like amino acids and creatine, what I notice more than anything is actually mental function is better. Like mm. with work as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that is probably the only valid use of BCAAs, for example, because really what you want is you want that leucine. And the point actually is to, uh, you have the BCAAs and that leucine does flick the switch on the muscle building machinery. Now, of course your body, it needs all of the additional amino acids that are in protein to actually make tissue, but that leucine flicks the switch you then train, which is a catabolic activity and is more catabolic in a fasted state than a fed state that's been shown in research, especially after you train. So you're counteracting that a little bit by having those amino acids is really what you're trying to accomplish, right? You're trying to, um, I wouldn't say trick your body, but you you're, you're just You're trying to prevent muscle protein breakdown rates from really ramping up, which can happen with fasted training, particularly after your workout. And so you can have the amino acids before it's not vital, but it's not a bad idea. You can also take a supplement called HMB if you want to do that, which is a metabolite of leucine. Some people prefer that because leucine, BCAAs, which also is isoleucine and valine, they they do have they do produce an insulin response. And yeah, but can you just fasting, take
1: essential aminos rather than just full essential amino acids rather there is than a, the BCAAs. There is a,
0: there, there is a, uh, an insulin response. So okay. it's not, okay. it's not, it's not as market as with food, uh, of course, and it doesn't last very long, but some people who are very strict okay. about their fasting, they want no insulin response. So they go with the black coffee, for example, and they go with the HMB, HMB. which, is a, meta- which is a, which is an, a metabolite of meaning your, when your body breaks leucine down, one of the um, things that, that is produced is called HMB. And that actually is more anti-catabolic, even than leucine itself, just taking straight leucine and it has no insulin response. So some people, again, who are very um, particular about their fasting, they choose HMB a couple, two or three grams before they train. And then they train within an hour, they have their first meal. If they want to push that out and wait even longer to eat, they might take another serving of HMB to, again, try to keep muscle protein breakdown rates from getting too high uh, before they eat and and then within an hour or two of that they eat uh, and i think that's a, a fine strategy i personally would prefer to just eat food but it, mm. it, sometimes it's just a matter of logistics like they want to train fasted maybe they're cutting and they want to use some yohimbine, which does help with fat loss you got to be in a fast state so they do that and then they have to drive to work they have to do things they actually can't get some food and, and, and to these people, I do recommend, I'm like, well, you might want to just bring a protein shake with you to the gym, shake it up, you know, or have a protein bar. But if for whatever reason that doesn't work and they go, you know, I really just, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry at all. I don't want to eat until 11 or 12 and I'm training at eight, da, 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 then you can use HMB or BCAAs or essential amino's. Make sure it has the, the leucine is, I mean, it would be in an and EAA it. product. Um you can do that.
1: And the yohimbine fun. helps you burn fat, right? So yeah, you can take yeah. But you could take the HMB and the yohimbine or
0: Yep, sure. You could. That, and that, these that are all I available on
1: your website, right?
0: Yeah, I have both. I mean that that's one of my products. It's, it's called Forge. It has yohimbine, has HMB, and then it has something called citicoline which um can help with just feeling mentally sharper um which can be also a problem with fasted training. Sometimes people, yeah. they just feel fuzzy headed if they don't have any food in them.
1: And is this one of the ones, um, we've, we've got to come to a close, but is this one of the ones that you're bringing into the UK? Cause I know we were chatting and you said some supplements are coming to the UK in the near.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm actually not sure. I'd have to check with some of the people I work with because you him I'm not sure uh, the UK and the EU, they have some strange restrictions on supplements. Mm. Um, like in Germany, they, uh, my pre-workout, it had an amino acid called L-ornithine, which is, uh, it's an amino acid. It's completely benign. It can help with endurance. There is no reason to make a fuss about L-ornithine, but in Germany, they did not allow it. Don't know why I have How no funny. idea. So, so I couldn't sell my pre-workout in Germany because it had L ornithine. So, you know, might be, it might not be allowed because it's a stimulant and it's not a dangerous product. I mean, if, yeah, if you take way too much of it, uh, it's going to be a problem, but of course that's true of caffeine as well. Like, um, you know, if you have two grams of caffeine in one go, you're probably going to the hospital. So, um, yeah. I'm not sure if that one is, is, if we're going to be able to, to offer to it, get it I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: But some are coming. So, um, yep. it's exciting. And your new book muscle for life is out on the 11th of January. Yep. Yep. Um, well, how can people get hold of this? Cause I think you have some bonuses coming. Wh- wh- how can they go and buy this?
0: Yeah. So up until January 11th, I have a a whole book launch campaign going at muscle for life, F O R life giving away, uh, I think on the sales on the page, it says 12,500, but we're over 13,000 maybe even $14,000 in all kinds of stuff and real stuff like a thousand dollar bike from Bowflex and a, an $800 set of adjustable dumbbells and, um, an air fryer, which a lot of people because like. so You can, you can fry mm. stuff without the calories. Really. It's, it's, it's a neat way to make crispy delicious things without having to actually deep fry. So things that that have real value, not like, oh, I say this PDF is worth, you know, $97. There you go. There's your bonus. Um and and you can enter by buying the book and by spreading the word about it. All the instructions, everything is over at muscleforlifebook.com and for people who pre-order now, they're also going to get uh some some immediate gratification too in the way of of bonus stuff that they'll get access to and just making it fun, making the book launch fun to drive pre-orders because pre-orders and first week orders determine your placement on various bestseller lists. So it's a, it's a, it's a marketing game, but, it works, know, fun. but it
1: works for everyone, right? So yeah, we will exactly. link to that in the show notes. Um, I will, uh, I'm just looking at the dates. Hopefully, hopefully when my editors are back, because everyone's breaking with Christmas, we get this out before, um, and uh, yeah, but I'm sure people will be really keen to buy it because um, this this book actually takes them through the whole process, right? You can go from beginner through intermediate and advanced, as I understand exactly. it. Yeah, yep, amazing.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yep. Amazing. We will link to that. And are you where are you most active? What's the best social media platform if people want to follow you and connect with you?
0: Most active is not very active, but I am, <laughs> I am there on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And I, I spend most of my time answering DMS, just trying to answer people's questions. I, I can't get to them all, but I do try to get through as many as I can. And then I spend some time, you know, posting and, uh, but most of my time these days goes into producing my podcast, which is called muscle for life as well. Writing articles, working on the next book, um, doing, what is a lot of it is just kind of boring chores in, in service of running my sports nutrition company, Legion. That's some of the less exciting work these days, uh, just because I mostly like to create content. i found that, um, I, building, building a business has been very rewarding and I, I like certain aspects of it, but a lot of it, is, is it's, it's just chores, but that's okay. Mm. And so I have to, I have to always have to do my chores every day. And, um, so that that's, you can find, I guess, all of my stuff at LegionAthletics.com. That's the sports nutrition company. It's the but best if, you place hit, to go. if you hit the blog, for example, you're going to find, I have hundreds and hundreds of articles there. I also have some smart, knowledgeable people who work with me and they write under their own names, but so you have millions of words at this point of content uh, answering, I mean, covering everything that I've talked about on this podcast actually is covered in one way or another through articles, through podcasts. Um, people can find my books, my other books at at Legion in their store, in the store there. You can also get them anywhere you buy books, but, um, yeah
1: Yeah, amazing we will link to all of that in the show notes thank you so much Mike I have all your books and I'll be getting muscle for life and you've been a real inspiration I think anyone listening that wants to gain muscle lose fat Mike's your man so go and check out Legion Athletics and muscle for life Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much today
0: yeah thank you thanks for listening remember to review and subscribe